0: I'm a feminist, but today somebody messaged me online saying I'm desperate to get a ticket to the roundhouse and it's sold out and I don't know what to do. And I said, I'm sorry, there really aren't any tickets left. And she said, look, there's one space on the website, but I phoned up and they said, that's a space for someone with a wheelchair and there's nothing they can do. And I said, have you thought of hiring a wheelchair? (laughs) No, no, you mustn't, you mustn't. We agreed that she mustn't. And if you did that and you're here, that was very bad.
2: I'm a feminist, but I very often use the fact that my girlfriend looks more like a boy than I do to make her take the bins out. (laughs) I feel bad about it, but she is the boy, so.
4: (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I think hoop earrings look a little bit slutty. And that's why I wear them all the time.
5: (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I nearly missed my plane to get here today because I spent an hour going, I have nothing to wear because I was refusing to wear anything that didn't show my amazing cleavage, you guys. Look at it, look at it. Hormones work, you know.
6: I'm a feminist, but when making love to a woman, and it is my turn to go down on her, I often find myself thinking, ah, but like, that's going to take ages. (laughs) And I'm not one to perpetuate the stereotype that pleasuring women takes ages, but also, who's got the time?
7: Uh, I'm a feminist, but I don't like to talk about it too much because I think we can all agree there is nothing more irritating than an overly vocal male feminist because... (laughs) Listen, it's a great thing to be a male feminist. I encourage all men to be feminists, but there's a certain point where it stops being helpful and starts sounding like what you're saying is, listen, ladies, let a man show you how to do feminism. Let's get a man in there to put some shelves up and get some logic in here.
8: I'm a feminist, but once a week, I stand in front of the mirror and practice how to bring my tears so that I can win arguments with my husband.
0: Live from the Roundhouse in Camden, The Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminist Great Debate with Felicity Ward, Deborah Francis-White, Roop Walsh, Brona C. E. Titley, Catherine Bohart and Nish Kumar, chaired by Sindhu V.
8: Please welcome to the stage your chairperson for the Great Debate, Sindhu V. Welcome to The Great Debate. I am the judge. I am an extremely judgy person. So this suits me so well. Oh my gosh. So, I'd like to call the house to order. And the motion before the house this evening is, this house believes comedy can change the world. When we say you can vote, we are then going to give you 60 seconds because we're an efficient bunch, all right? But let us uh, meet our speakers. We have on the prop bench Mrs. Felicity Ward. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of your speakers. Felicity, Mrs. Felicity Ward, Mrs. Felicity Ward, is a uh, award-winning comedian. And when I asked her how else I could introduce her, she said. Use one of my favorite phrases, her favorite phrases, but in your accent. Now, I don't have an accent, (laughs) but I'll do what she said. So, Mrs. Felicity Ward, what a cunt. (laughs) We have Ms. Rubes Walsh. Ms. Walsh is an academic in social and developmental neuroscience. All evening uh, all evening she has been giving me reasons why my teenager's crap behaviour is not their fault. <laughs> and we have Ms. Catherine Bohart. Also an award-winning stand-up comedian. Uh, She won best speaker in Europe a couple of years ago, and she was second best speaker in the world five years ago, and it is still bothering her. Which frankly, yeah. Anyway. And to my left, we have the opposition bench, Ms. Deborah Francis-White. She's a comedian, a writer, and host of a podcast you might have heard about. What's the podcast called? And that. And then we also have Miss Brona C. Titley. She's, a, she's an award winning comedy writer and actor who represented Ireland at the World Debating Championships. Yeah. She literally talked for Ireland, all (laughs) right? And last, but by no means least, we have Mr. Nish Kumar. Mr. Kumar is an award-winning comedian, but for our purposes, the thing you have to remember about him is this man is such a catch (laughs) because he's on this show. Right, so before we begin and before I welcome our first speaker from the prop bench to the podium, I just want to make one rule clear. When there's a speaker on, if the other team wants to bring up a point of information, they can do so after the first bell, but not after the second bell. And if at any point things get out of hand, I will get involved. And you will hear me sing things like order, order, or other things. Let's wait and see. <laughs> anyway, so please welcome to the stage your first speaker for the prop bench, Mrs. Felicity Ward. <clears throat>
4: Um, Before I start, may I say thank you so much for having me and what an honour it is to go first. An honour and a relief. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I didn't go to university. I ate a sweet potato for breakfast. (laughs) The opposing team are going to... Team, is that the word? I don't fucking know. Uh, They're going to find holes in my argument as big as the holes in the underpants I wear tonight. I'm not going to show you, but I am going to let you use your imagination. My arguments will be lazy, dubious, and wafer-thin. I will use sources that cannot be traced or verified. I will use words that do not mean what they are supposed to mean, but no one can take away from me the fact that I am definitely first. Thank you. Thank you. So, good evening, everyone. Good evening, opposition team. Good evening, Your Majesty, Sindhu V. I will be speaking for the proposing team for the motion that this house believes comedy can change the world. In closing, no that comes later, okay I got that, I got that. (laughs) Comedy is defined as professional entertainment consisting of jokes and sketches. Sketches, surely they're still supposed to have jokes in them. Why not just say mime while we're all here? Anyway, (laughs) jokes and sketches intended to make an audience laugh. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word can. Yeah, I'm defining every word, mate. I've got to pad this 10 minutes out with something. They define the word can as be able to. So we're in common... So where comedy intends to make someone laugh, a funny comedian can make someone laugh. Let's see which one I am. (laughs) The word change... Oh my God, I'm so bored. Um, I looked up this debating template and it said that you needed to define every word in the... (laughs) Mind you, it also told me not to mention Hitler or Mother Teresa. (laughs) Weirdly specific. Um, And defining changing the world, well, that's relative. A lot of these comics over here, they'll get up here and they'll try to convince you with their words and their intellect and their facts. (laughs) Typical lefty snowflakes. (laughs) What I'm gonna do is highlight what a bunch of absolute hypocrites I'm up against. Hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. Now, I don't actually know what hypocrite means. (laughs) But I'm sure I'm about to find out. <laughs> we, the affirmative team, believe, no, nay, know that this statement is true. This house believes that comedy can change the world. What would you say has changed the world? The internet? Civil rights protests? Sliced bread, apparently? I mean, are you saying there's been nothing better or worse before or after slice bread. We're still talking about, sli- okay, that's a digression, <laughs> but is, is changing the law changing the world? Maybe. Is changing a tire changing the world? No, that's a different thing. <laughs> but changing the world is a sliding scale, yeah? It's like one of those little, um, you know, those lollipop whistles. And they go, <laughs> It's a sliding scale. Couldn't promise you there wasn't going to be (laughs) wordplay. Many years ago, someone in Australia did a fart in an elevator. (laughs) And the recipients of said fart thought it was so unfunny, they wrote a sarcastic simile about it. Now, the person who did the fart, they didn't know that that was going to happen. The phrase was born, though, because of what they did. The phrase was born, you're about as funny as a fart in an elevator. They didn't know they were going to change language forever that day, but they did, just by doing something that you and I do. Eat food past its use-by date and then get some bad wind. (laughs) And changing the world isn't even about definitions, it's about hope. Do we, as a group, in principle, agree that changing the world can begin with one person? Do we agree that? Yes. If you disagree with me, you're a misogynist. You'll be asked to leave and we will ban you from the building. Sorry, I was just testing out what it feels like to be an actual feminazi. got to say, it still doesn't make me want to be Hitler. Oh, broken a debating rule. Okay. So we agree changing the world can begin with one person. Then aren't we also saying that changing the world could begin with one comedian? It's terrifying, I know, but I didn't pick the subject. So now we look at actual comedians doing comedy. Are they changing the world? Can they change the world? I'm going to come out here. It just feels right. I, um... I mean, look at these legs. Am I going to keep them behind a podium? I don't think so. Anyway... I, um... Don't worry, I'm wearing bike pants. Safety first. Safety first. There you go, babe. Cop those. So there is a... a, (laughs) Cop those. What an animal. I'm so sorry. So, <laughs> fucking cop these, mate. Anyway, I there is a special on Netflix at the moment called Nanette by a comedian called Hannah Gadsby. You might have heard Deborah Francis White talking about it on The Guilty Feminist. Now, one might say it's actually changing the world of comedy. But don't take my word for it. Here are some of the quotes from reviews of that comedy show. The Cut says, The power of her performance sets an example for future young women deciding how they want to tell their stories to the world. I don't know, opposing team. Do you want to set an example for future young women deciding how they tell their stories? Or do you want to be a big old fascist and stick to your guns because of a comedy? Comedy debate. Don't answer that. It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> the Atlantic says Gatsby's similar desire to change comedy to maybe even change the world is what leaves Nanette ending on hope. I mean, that's just a desire to change the world. That doesn't mean the author actually thinks she can change the world. That's just what they're saying. Finally, I didn't get past the headline of Refinery's 29's article because it simply said, Nanette is the Netflix special that's going to change comedy. And the world! So what? It's just one comedian. It's just an isolated incident. That doesn't mean comedy can, comedy in general, except that it did. There is a comedian called Hannibal Buress who brought up Bill Cosby's alleged assaults back in 2014. <clears throat> And it rekindled the groundswell of a movement. Brian Logan of The Guardian said, Allegations that had been discussed before had never stuck until a stand-up chose to let rip. A comedy reviewer recognised the power of our words to change the world. That's the same reviewer who wrote of me, Funny, but often highly strung and needy comedy. Hello, Brian, if you're listening, I hope you're having a blessed day. (laughs) But Felicity, these are just isolated examples. We're talking about comedy in this very room. Do you think that panel of naysayers over there? Do you think the comedians on that panel, you think they're on stage just doing dick jokes and nothing else? No, mate. They want to be agents of change. Brona C. Titley in the middle. Are you not one of the writers from Deborah Francis' White's comedy pilot, Next Week News? Point of I haven't finished. Next week, in a second, in a second, yes. I, uh, I, I like want to be tough, but I also don't want to be rude to her. Um are you not uh, from next week's news where our literal mission statement was to rewrite the news for next week through comedy is changing the news not changing the world or is that just fake news (laughs) point
6: Thank you so much for promoting my career. I am head writer of Deborah Francis White's pilot, Next Week's News. But I would like to bring up to you, as you well know, that that is a non-TX pilot that has yet to be commissioned by Channel 4 and probably won't be because, let's face it, it's hosted by a woman.
4: (laughs) Don't clap her. She doesn't deserve it. Nishan Kumar, if that is your real name. And it is. Oh, shit, if I got only one minute to go... Oh, we're fucked, mate. All right. I spend too much time on my legs. All right, We've just got to get to Deb. Okay. Someone said to me that comedy and artists have more impact on society than politicians do that person also said it was Charles Dickens that brought the plight of the underclass to the attention of the upper class more than leaders of the day do you know who that person was? It was bloody Deborah Francis White hypocrite exposed, do you not stand by your word DFW Are you? is that what you're telling the guilty feminist audience? You're telling them that this is just a comedy show and nothing you're saying changes anything is that what you're saying? Or are are going to tell me all those emails of women saying, that's just like me, or I thought I was the only one, or I'm going to tell my boss to fuck off today after listening to your podcast? You're not telling me that you're changing the world one download at a time? But forget the podcast. Yeah, all right. Forget the podcast. What about the £7,000 plus that you raised for Calais refugees by putting on two simultaneous comedy shows? That didn't change anything? You are a magnanimous. Yes, I'm going to. This is my final nearly sentence. You are a magnanimous, generous, humanitarian hypocrite. You are basically Mother Teresa. I fucked it again. I have one. Can I? Thank you so much. Thank you, so, thank can, you so, much. so much. It's been wonderful. Can I read my last sentence? Just one sentence? You don't want to, your team to get disqualified. No, I don't, no. but I just got one more sentence. Oh, on, uh, April, on April 26th this I, year, I, Bill Cosby was charged with three felony accounts of aggravated indecent assault. Tell me, comedy can't change the world. It has, it is, and it will. Thank you. This is what.
8: Wow! after that spirited performance, uh, may I please welcome to the stage your first speaker from the opposition bench, Ms. Deborah Francis-White.
0: Trump, Brexit, Belgium one, England nil, If comedy has changed the world, perhaps we should ban it for a few years and see if things get better. That punchline didn't change anything. And neither did that one. In the run-up to the US election, I don't remember any comedians being pro-Trump. In fact, Alec Baldwin led Saturday Night Live in an all-out satirical and admittedly delightful offensive, making the future Fuhrer of the United States of Gilead a risible, ludicrous punchline week in and week out every network and cable station in the country were throwing their best gag writers at the election, and I don't remember one where the punchline implied that Hillary forgetting to install spyware on her home laptop should preclude her from the top job in favour of the pussy grabber-in-chief. Every single late-night host with a room full of comedy writers paid a minimum of two grand a day couldn't put Humpty together again after election night. In fact, one of the many late-night jimmies, I want to say Fallon, (laughs) made the notable soul-friendly act to Trump from comedy in that he tousled Trump's candy floss hair after 11 p.m. at night on NBC. I don't love that any more than you do. Oh, do we have a point of information?
8: We have a point of information.
0: Surely that's only because they were all
2: beaten by the best character comic in the world, Donald Trump.
0: If Donald Trump is in fact a comedy character, he is the deadliest comedy character in the world and is probably already any, responsible for any number of deaths. If that's your idea of howdy doody <laughs> proposition, then I genuinely feel for this house. Now, I don't love that one of the Jimmies, possibly Fallon, did that any more than you do. But it was so outstanding that whichever Jimmy it was, and admit it, you couldn't pick him out of a late-night American show host lineup never lived it down. This was the singular moment that anyone in comedy was said to have humanized Trump. And yet, he won! The late-night Jimmy in question, I want to say Fallon, said in response to the criticism that he carelessly helped Trump win the election, He said, moaned actually, you made me feel bad. So now what? Are you happy? I'm depressed. Do you want to push me more? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to do the worst thing in the world to myself? What would make you happy? Jimmy, I want to say Fallon or Kim or Fallon. He's the only comedian who touched Trump and risked Tea Party cooties and he's taken the heat. But I think we all know deep down that Russia and corruption did more to get Trump to home base than Jimmy Corden's carpool karaoke is capable of or could be culpable for. It's like saying right-wing British comedian and charm school graduate Andrew Lawrence is responsible for Brexit. I'd love to because I dislike his smug face. But most of you have never heard of him, so it's clearly an unfair accusation.
5: On a point of information, we didn't vote for Brexit.
0: Who didn't vote for Brexit? This house. This house. No, this house didn't vote for Brexit, but what I'm saying is comedy didn't stop it. Or if it did... I don't know about it. If perhaps comedy stopped at this afternoon, I don't know. Perhaps there was a series of knock-knock jokes that has reversed the Brexit bus. (laughs) I haven't received knowledge of it. Nobody's informed me. The Daily Show is a successful, left-leaning, satirical, reliable Josh-fest that has seen us through Clinton, Bush, Obama, and now Trump. It has remained the same, day in, day out, as its name suggests. The country has swung left and right and left, and what the fuck is this? (laughs) The Daily Show will be there until Pence rounds up the journalists and comedians for reprogramming. And in the meantime, politics will go on as if it's not fucking there. Does that mean there's no value in satire? God knows, satire provides insight, relief, comfort, and joy. But does it change anything? I give you exhibit A, those United States of America, and answer, obviously not. If you were alive in the 1980s, which you probably weren't, look at you, you disgust me. You can't help but have noticed that some British comedians weren't at all best pleased that our then Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, yes, the Prime Minister was a woman all along, was closing the mines. They weren't happy, they weren't happy at all, the comedians. I paraphrase Stuart Lee, quoting Simon Munnery, when I say that those comedians were successful against the onslaught of Thatcher in the same way that Berlin's satirical cabaret acts in the early 1930s successfully brought an end to the Third Reich.
8: We have a point of information.
0: Yes. Do you think watching
2: SNL makes it easier or harder to be a black, queer, trans woman in the States?
0: I don't think it makes it so significantly easier that black, queer, trans people are having the time of their fucking lives. I don't think any of them are having a lovely walk in the park, especially given abortion is about to be a in a number of states. And Saturday Night Live is going to do a couple of jokes saying, oh, pro Choice in a funny voice with a wig. You still can't get a fucking abortion. The proposition will tell you what they wish comedy could do. But the evidence sinks with the plastics in the ocean, plummets with the value of the pound and waits frightened at the border, separated from its family. Comedy hates bad things. Jokes think Trump is a douche puppet. (laughs) Satire is no fan of injustice. Your yet unwritten and only recently titled Edinburgh Fringe Show might have the best intentions, but if you could change the world, the world would be changed already. But, Deborah, I hear you cry in horror. Don't you do the patriarchy-smashing Guilty Feminist podcast that is a combination of comedy and direct action that has had 35 million downloads in two and a half years?
6: <laughs>
0: and haven't you just made a satirical pilot for Channel 4 called Next Week's News with ambitions to change the news so that if we don't like the news, we can change it? Why, yes, I have. I'm glad you've been reading Chortle.com so avidly. It's basically the Washington Post for those in the comedy know. But here's the thing, gang, the comedy on The Guilty Feminist, or my TV show, can't change the world. But the listeners and the viewers can. As my esteemed colleague, first speaker of the proposition pointed out, I went to Calais earlier this year, alone, alone, with just a recorder and made a podcast with 20 full-time volunteers who work day in and day out to help refugees who might starve and would certainly freeze at times and be in ruinous mental health without them. Here is a joke that one of the volunteers did on my show. I'm a feminist, but my lowest point out volunteering in Calais was when a refugee asked me, do you dress like that in solidarity with us? (laughs) Now that is a very funny joke and a true story. But did that change the world? No. But I've been told that over a third of the volunteers currently working in Calais for varying degrees of time from a day to a week to a month or longer are there because they heard about it on the podcast. That does change the world. That saves lives and makes them worth living. But you've got to book the ticket. Get off Get off at the station a bit scared. Harness the feelings you've got when you heard about the podcast and get to work. That will change today, tomorrow, and the next day. No amount of laughing on the tube to our favorite podcast can do that for us. I'm winning them over, Fleck. I'm winning them over. Now, my esteemed colleague, Felicity Ward, suggested that Hannah Gadsby's show Netflix was changing the world, and I agree. But... The very basis of that show is that Hannah is giving up comedy because it's set up punch with no catharsis. She herself says, yes, story can change the world, but comedy can't. That's why she's giving the fucker up. Felicity Ward said that I quoted Dickens. I did, I did. Dickens did change the world with story, not with comedy. Story that activated human beings. Now. As Felicity Ward cut to her last sentence, her, her sentence I will too. Um, comedy is just a flag that can draw like-minded people to assemble, but unless the people come and get their volunteers' boots on, it's just a meaningless symbol blowing in the wind. Uh, we need comedy desperately to make us... Yeah, okay. Oh, one, uh, last sentence, last sentence, flick up last sentence. We must never watch even the most insightful and amusing episode of the MASH report and go to bed feeling that all will be right with the world because as dashing and charismatic as my teammate Nish Kumar is, he is not our Lord and Saviour. He can poke fun, but he cannot end austerity, at least not through comedy. But together we can, we will, and we must. Hear the justice bugle sound and go forth into battle, guilty feminists. But right now, we need the punch more than the line.
8: Thank you. Thank you to Ms. Deborah Frances White, for the world's longest run-on sentence. (laughs) And now, looking back at the prop bench, we have our next speaker from the prop bench. Please welcome Miss Rubes Walsh.
5: Thank you, Madam Chairwoman, fellow debaters, distinguished guests. Maybe if Deborah had used some comedy in her debate, she would have changed the world a little bit. (laughs)
0: Points of... Oh, I can't do it yet. Damn it. Wait till a minute.
5: They say laughter is the best medicine, and while it's true that laughing too hard can cause you to burst an aneurysm, rupture a lung, or even asphyxiate, I still think they're right. Comedy is good for you. Many of the health benefits of laughter are very similar to the benefits of exercise, which makes sense. A proper belly laugh is a real workout for your heart, which is also why it has the same risks as other forms of cardio. It can reduce blood pressure, it can strengthen your heart. You're left feeling worn out and satisfied, just like the only other kind of exercise I have any interest in. (laughs) But more important in my view, comedy offers insight, relief, comfort, and what was it, Deborah, joy? It's good for your mental health. So I will now confess something. I'm a bit cuckoo. I see a shrink every week, and when I see him, There are three major themes that we often discuss. Three I'm willing to broadcast on the internet, at least. And those three are, number one, I do not like accepting the obvious fact that I'm flawed. One of my biggest flaws is that when it comes to self-improvement, I get stressed out about the flaw I want to improve upon and just give up. But, right, guess, like, knowing is half the battle, right? So 50% will do for now, and we can move on to number two. I want to be happy, and consequently I pushed myself in many areas of my life, be it work or therapy or my relationships, believing that if I succeed at these things, I will be happy. This led to the situation where I was sat in my therapist's office crying about, I don't know, something, and I burst out with, I have to stop crying so I can make proper use of this time, I need all the therapy I can get, (laughs) goddammit! And number three, the world is falling apart and I, alone, am powerless to stop it. I suspect that if you surveyed all the therapists of all the feminists in the world, this theme would come third, after daddy issues and the double guilt of both wanting and of not having a thigh gap. (laughs) So here's my point. The opposition are trying to argue that comedy is just a release valve on the frustration of living in the dystopian nightmare that we call modern life and that it facilitates inaction for those who would rather have a quiet life. And that is probably sometimes true. What they fail to account for is that feminism, anti-racism, anti-capitalism, any and every form of social justice activism is emotionally exhausting. Before I begin my day's work, I've resisted the urge to write a detailed but ineffectual letter to the producers of a misogynistic sitcom. I've suppressed the humiliated rage I feel towards the cis men who stare and catcall me on my ten-minute walk to work and the desire to just bite down on their necks until they stop struggling. <laughs> I am polite. I am polite and I am friendly to the humans in the office. Even the men, and even though every single one of them is cisgender, I'm exhausted. By the way, would it kill cis people to just be a little bit more trans about it? (laughs) Look, comedy's capacity to release that stress enables this army of pissed off, big-hearted people to survive the battle. In recognizing and laughing at the absurdity of our oppression, we're able to stand back up and continue the fight. Or to put it another way, it's easier to deal with the reality that Trump has the lump of rock we call home pointed squarely at oblivion if we can laugh at him and call him a big Nessian orange man baby with teeny weeny hands and a sponge sugar nest perched on his empty head like the sickly pudding he is.
6: Point of information. Uh, you talk about comedy as uh, relieving stress, which it absolutely does. That's how we all watch political satire. But the problem is that once our stress is relieved, we go, ah, oh, I feel much better now. And we don't actually do anything. Thank you for we your not a point of our information,
5: dinner. but if you'll let me get to the end of my speech, I'll already respond to that point, thanks.
0: Point of information, you sounded a lot like all of the queer eye guys then.
5: Thanks. It helps us release this pent up tension. It's like wanking, but afterwards, you don't feel the need to cry and sing along to On My Own from Les Mis. Comedy makes it bearable to have these necessary conversations. And in these necessary conversations, it creates moments of understanding. Let's take Henry, the imaginary, boring, white, cishet male, privileged comedian. Comedian. I mean, he's not completely imaginary, but I'm not using his real name. Um, he tells you about that time he went to Thailand or, well, really anywhere beautiful with a long, elegant history of gender diversity that Western colonialism has corrupted. <laughs> Henry tells you how he got tricked by a trans woman into taking her back to his hotel room. He tells you how he discovered, I mean discovered, Something that at least 99% of trans women prefer to disclose before they get anywhere near sex with someone. I'm talking about the D, guys. (laughs) Henry, whose previous joke was about how he likes to sneak his way around consent by lying because the truth is so confusing, suddenly has a profound expectation that everything he considers relevant should be disclosed to him in advance without being asked. But fascists don't disclose to me as if fascists are getting any of this. I have to ask, Henry. You have to ask too, Henry. (laughs) Henry makes a joke about how trans women are disgusting, and he does this by describing in unnecessary detail the exact colour and texture of his vomit. He doesn't mention that the reason he vomited was because he tried to deep throat her, because although he's very attracted to trans women, he knows that social convention says we're unattractive, so he makes the punchline that trans women aren't attractive and the laughter signals sent from the audience that indeed, trans women aren't attractive. I've said that too many times now and I feel slightly sick. <laughs> In that example, comedy is a force for change. It's harm, but it's still change. It tells transphobes that their viewpoint is valid. Henry doesn't convince anyone that already knows that trans women are actual human women, you guys, to change their perspective. <laughs> Once you know it's harmful bullshit, his joke just isn't funny. The mutual understanding isn't created. Henry's joke punches down. Point of
6: information. Uh, You can't define emotion to say that comedy can change the world for the good and change the world for the bad and change the world to say the same. That's just a truism. You can't have your cake and eat it. You're doing it again.
5: That's not information. That's an argument. But also, you still need to let me get to the end of my point. It's a structured argument. I'm building ideas on top of ideas. Okay. Just... Chill, you'll, you'll, you'll get it in a minute, I promise. I've lost my place. Oh, yes. <laughs> His joke punches down. He tries to create humor by denigrating someone who is already denigrated and whose denigration has nothing to do with the truth. Comedy has a truth bias. Besides which, it's derivative drivel. Derivative drivel, derivative drivel, derivative drivel. <laughs> Don't say that three times. Anyway, let's contrast that to comedy that punches up. Call Henry a cunt, uh, unless you're a female late-night comedy host, in which case maybe don't. (laughs) Calling Harvey Weinstein the gentle warts of Hollywood sex pests is funny. It releases some of the stress that discussions of sexual assault can cause survivors to experience, making it possible for them to get their stories heard. (laughs) Thanks, one person. (laughs) But make it funnier, and the mutual understanding is a greater force for change. Showbiz fact, did you know, despite the similarity in the parts they're given to play on screen, women are not in fact pot plants. We don't exist to make the place look nice or for you to ejaculate into. (laughs) So comedy is a force for change. And because it has a truth bias, it's a force for positive change. It can sometimes empower bigots to see their viewpoints validated, but it's so much more effective at bringing people around to understanding the truth. Falsehoods are only funny when they work to emphasise truth. Plus, without comedy, I doubt very much that most contemporary activists would be able to get out of bed and get on with their world-saving work. So please, vote for happy feminists, funny justice, and support the motion.
8: Thank you so much to Miss Rubes Walsh, uh, the first speaker this evening
0: to keep to time at all. <laughs> Point of information, she's not a comedian. She's got a proper job, so that's not Point really fair. Point of information, I am the
8: chairwoman.
0: <laughs> Point of information?
8: I have a proper you, job, and I do You comedy, don't guys. give me points of information. I give you information. Not even <laughs> points, I give you paragraphs of information. Apologies, Anyways. Madam Chair. Apologies. Anyways, I love this job so much.
0: <laughs> My God. Hello, guilty feminists. I was invited with the podcast All Stars to make a live aid-style Christmas single called "The Sounds of Christmas." It's for Samuel's Charity, which is a charity that helps underfunded children's wards. It's a great cause. You can download it at iTunes or Amazon. Please get in there and download that today and try and drive it up the charts. We are doing a national tour. It will not be podcast. It's a big all singing, all dancing live show. I mean, all singing, limited dancing, to be fair. Some singing, mostly comedy, no dancing tour. Go to guiltyfemmers.com or Ticketmaster to find tickets. The Guilty Feminist book is still on sale, but if you're someone who prefers to listen, you may well be. You're a podcast fan. Download the audio book and I will read it to you personally. We've got some other shows coming up on the 12th of January. I will be guesting on Best Pick, which is Tom Selinsky's film buff podcast. So we will be discussing the film Casablanca at 2.30pm and then we will be watching Casablanca, a classic film with lots of hefty gender politics to get our teeth into. And afterwards, we will be having a discussion about Casablanca. That'll be me, Tom Selinsky and the other regulars on the podcast, Jessica Regan and John Dorney. It's a fabulous film buffs podcast. Uh, Check it out anyway. But come down to the live one. It's going to be brilliant. If you've never seen Casablanca, you have to see it on the big screen. If you have seen Casablanca, I know you'll want to be there. You can go and get tickets for that at cinemamuseum.org.uk and it's 2.30pm Saturday afternoon, the 12th of January. On the 16th of January, the Guilty Feminist podcast is recording at King's Place live. Come and join us there. Get tickets now while you can. And on the 8th of March, we're doing a big, exciting International Women's Day show at the Barbican with Guardian Live. Get tickets now. They're going to sell really, really quickly. If you are in Dublin, we're coming back to Vicar Street. Dublin, last time we were there, I think we need to be honest, you brought a rock concert to a podcast recording. We cannot wait to come back. 26th of March, we will see you there, Dublin. And finally, don't forget to choose love this Christmas. Go to choose.love forward slash guilty feminist and buy life-saving supplies for refugees who are now freezing, freezing cold. And to help homeless people, continue to support crisis.org.uk forward slash guilty feminist. And now, back to the podcast.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.
8: we come to our second speaker from the opposition bench, someone who has been animated with points of information <laughs> and rightly so. Please welcome Miss Brona C. Titli.
6: Esteemed chairperson, honorable members of the proposition, members of the opposition and our lovely, and attractive audience. How are you? Are you having a brilliant time? I am having a brilliant time. I am really enjoying listening to the proposition. They are articulate and funny, and they have lovely hair, but they are feckin' fantasists! Seriously, where is this world that they are describing that has been changed so amazingly by comedy? Because I don't recognise it. Do you? I mean, I think they are gaslighting you. I think they are trying to make you misremember centuries of tragic human history. I mean, do you remember when a knock-knock joke stopped the Holocaust? Because I don't. And Jews are some of the funniest people we have. They should have been safe. Do you remember when a man stood in the middle of Tiananmen Square and stopped the tanks with a Borat impression? My wife! Arr! No! Do you remember when they crafted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and then stuffed it full of hilarious Simpsons memes? No, because it didn't happen. If comedy could change the world, then Martin Luther King would never have given his famous I Have a Dream speech. He would have done a tight 10 minutes on, isn't it annoying when people tell you about their dreams? (laughs) We have heard some nonsense from the proposition tonight, my friends. (laughs) I waited patiently waited patiently for the end of Rube Walsh's speech so that she could explain how comedy could change everything for the good, for the bad to stay the same. You can't define emotion like that. You can't have your cake and eat it, which is a phrase I hate by the way because we're all adults. Just get a bigger cake. (laughs) Rube Walsh also stood up here and said that laughter is the best medicine. I think that's a very dangerous thing to say. No wonder she is an academic doctor and not a real one. Felicity Ward stood up here and talked for, I don't know, what must have been 45 minutes? <laughs> About, to be honest again, I just don't know, uh, sliced bread, farts in elevators, lollipop whistles. You can't debate nonsense, so instead I'm just going to refute Felicity's claims with her favourite medium of mime. Point for of the p- listeners on the podcast, no thank you, not yet. We have a for a the point. listeners, I said no thank you, not yet. For the listeners on the podcast, I would like to make it clear. Thank you. No, thank you. You may sit down. I'll tell you when I'm ready. I would like to make it clear that I just mind the universe is in the floor. If you could What the down. fuck? Chair, please, could you ask the proposition to behave? Now, comedy can change things just not the world. And we can change the world, just not with comedy. If comedy could change the world, then the Prime Minister of the UK wouldn't be serious, boring person Theresa May. It would be the hilarious and adorable Scarlet Moffat from Gogglebox. And that is a UK that I would like to live in. Now, in order to talk about change in the world, we first must look at the state of the world. And as we say in Dublin, when somebody looks awful because, I don't know, they're wearing a top knot or something, the state of you. The absolute feckin' state of you. And the world is in a state, my friends. There are currently 64.8 million refugees displaced around the world. Experts say that not yet. No, thank you, I'm in the middle of a point. I'll tell you when I'm ready. Experts say that by 2050, there will be more plastic in our world's oceans than fish. And currently, eight white men hold as much of the world's wealth as half of the world's population. That's eight white men as rich as 3.5 billion people. And you just know that one of those white men is comedian Michael (laughs) McIntyre. Maybe all the world's money is what he keeps in his man drawer. And talking of white male comedians, are they doing anything to redress this balance? No, Michael McIntyre is making whimsical jokes about how the paprika in his spice cupboard sounds very different to the cumin. Yeah, a lovely bit of observational comedy that, yes, is borderline racist. Now, there are some amazing comics in this room that I love dearly. I mean, like all of you, I basically worship at the altar of Deborah Francis White. (laughs) I replaced the 45 minutes a week that I used to spend going to mass with listening to the Guilty Feminist podcast. And my only regret, my only regret is that 30 minutes in, Deborah doesn't give me a tasty little Jesus wafer to snack on. But think about it, the incredible comics in this room excluded comedians as people are completely fecking useless. Do you know any stand-up comedians, are they or are they not, so self-involved that they can barely dress themselves? I had to help Nish Kumar put on his trousers tonight and he is one of the good ones. I used to be flatmates with a comic and she talked about herself 26 hours a day. She talked about herself so much our neighbours thought I lived alone but was just really addicted to audiobooks. She talked about herself so much I had to start flashing a light at 50 minutes.
4: Yes, Felicity Ward, I would love to hear your point. Point of information, I haven't spoken for ages. Hi!
6: (laughs) Thank you so much. That illuminating point of information really illustrated better than I could how the proposition is great at being adorable and terrible at debating. Miss Titley, may I ask you? you. Sorry? You can't say no thank you to me. Oh, I never would, darling. You're amazing. Darling, that's
8: familiar. Anyway, um, question for you, <laughs> question for you. Are there any other of the previous points of interest you said you'd come back to? Is that gonna happen or you, or that's no?
6: I, I am proving my thesis and I will, do you mean to, will I take any more points? No, the ones that are waiting, should they wait or? No, I've had to, that'll be plenty. Countries are disappearing underwater. Children are being kidnapped out of the arms of their parents at the US border by the US government perhaps most upsetting of all, the giraffe is now endangered. The giraffe. How much are human beings messing up this planet that we've managed to endanger an animal that can kill you with its neck? <laughs> Comics, the human arm of comedy, are not touching these problems with a barge pole, unless the uh, proposition think that I'm being harsh. And if I am, then Maybe I am, maybe I'm not thinking about the lovely, compassionate, benevolent chaps of comedy like, oh, I don't know, Rolf Harris, Bill Cosby, and Jimmy Savile. Yes, you should be shocked, they're terrible, comedians are terrible. It's not even a real job. I'm a TV comedy writer, okay, who's written on, I don't know, maybe 15 shows in the UK, and every time I speak to my mother, she says, oh, would you not just come back to Drum Conjure and do the postgrad in teaching? I mean, comedy is a nice hobby, but it's not a real job. I mean, what are you really doing? But, you know, maybe that's less to do with her views on comedy and more to do with the fact that she just doesn't love or respect me. Ha <laughs> <laughs> So what can change the world if not comedy? Respect for human dignity and values-led political and social policy. And that takes a lot longer to achieve than a 50-minute Edinburgh show. And it is... Social and political comedy led by a social and political policy funny? No, it isn't. It is long and tedious and boring, much like watching a 50-minute Edinburgh show. Did comedy end apartheid? No. Did comedy end slavery? No. Even on a smaller scale, comedy cannot affect change. Where I'm from in Ireland, a generation of activists have just managed to repeal the Eighth Amendment, making it legal for Irish women... Thank you, I did that, that was me. We repealed the Eighth Amendment, making it legal for Irish women to have autonomy over their own bodies and have safe access to abortion. Did comedy do that? No, comedy would have been really, really inappropriate. Imagine if during one of the abortion debates, one of the activists had been like, knock knock, who's there? Your fetus. Your fetus who? Your fetus hoovered out of you. I mean, guys, that would have been terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I would like to apologize to those of you who found that joke offensive, but I would also like you to know that I love it. <laughs> Aristotle. Aristotle. The famous Greek philosopher knew a thing or two about comedy, and he drew a distinction between comedy and tragedy, two masks, two separate things. Comedy cannot affect change on tragedy because comedy and tragedy are a binary, unlike gender, which is a spectrum, am I right? That is my hand in the air, just high-fiving a million non-binary angels. Okay. Comedy is important to relax and de-stress you but you don't actually do anything. Would the suffragettes have had time to get the votes for some women if music halls had let them do stand-up comedy? No, they wouldn't have had time. The only difference would have been that they'd been dying on stage instead of in front of the king's horses. Last sentence. Talking about time. The world is in a state and it needs activism, not comedy. And who is best placed to do that? Only you, the guilty feminist audience and listeners. You are incredible activists. Continue doing that. Don't waste your time with comedy. Comedy can change things, just not the world. And we can change the world, just not. With comedy, because changing the world, much like Adam Sandler movies, is no laughing matter. Thank you very much. Thank you, Miss Sydney.
8: Well, that went well. Uh, A lot of comedians who are in the room are probably leaving, thinking, what job should I do next? Um, We are up to our last speaker from the prop bench, and it is my great pleasure to invite to the podium, Ms. Catherine Bohart.
2: Madam Speaker, members of the opposition, members of the proposition, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's about time someone took this debate about comedy a little more seriously. Therefore, three points in this closing summation speech. Firstly, the opposition tell you that the world is hell. The world is hell, therefore comedy is futile. Secondly, they tell you that comedy will only ever lead to reprieve, but ultimately end in inaction. We're going to tell you why that's not true. And thirdly, we're going to tell you why it is specifically comedy allows conversations to start in ways that they wouldn't otherwise and does facilitate change. Okay, three points. The first thing they tell you is that the world is hell, right? The world is hell, therefore comedy has changed nothing. Deborah Francis White says, just show all the episodes you want of SNL. Do dick jokes if you want about Trump, but it won't change anything. I ask her in a POI, is it easier or is it harder to be a black woman, to be a trans woman, to be a queer woman in America when you look at the television and you see yourself? And you can laugh at yourself and you can laugh at the horror show that is your ruler. She says... Well, obviously it makes it easier but it's not meaningfully easier which is not a meaningful distinction why because it does make it easier it makes it easier when you feel seen it makes it easier when you feel like you're not going mad and it makes it easier when you think that other people agree with you which is exactly what snl does for the minority now no thank you she says it doesn't change she says it doesn't change the world. Brona says it doesn't change enough. Flick tells you, despite the madness that was her incredible speech, <laughs> and despite how hard it was to hear over her phenomenal legs. Um, She tells you two things. She tells you that actually, if you look at proof, Hannibal Buress is exactly the example we need of how the world has been changed by comedy. If you want historical evidence of this, look at the fact that Chaplin made a movie called The Dictator and it did puncture the rule of Hitler and it did turn around American neutrality. So if we're going to talk proof, we win. Now, I'll take a POI from the nerd. He hasn't given one yet, has he?
7: Oh, I wasn't. uh, I didn't have a point of information. I just made uh, eye contact.
2: That's okay. Just, just make it up like you do on the mass report.
7: Yeah, that is true actually. It's
4: so I true. Would, it's sorry. so
8: true. I would like the speakers not to have a personal conversation on the stage.
2: <laughs> I mean, sca- it's gonna be personal, Nish is the worst. So, he's not, he's so cute. What did you just say? Can we have some order, please, uh, and continue your debate? Second point: They tell you that this ultimately leads to apathy and inaction, right? First of all, whenever I watch Nish's show, whenever I watch the Mash Report, and it's not often, I always (laughs) fool me once. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but whenever I watch it, I am forever, ever motivated to get up and do anything else. Now. They say it leads to an action. I say if ever there was something to motivate us to end Brexit, it's so that Nish stops doing comedy. I always, always do things when I uh, watch his jokes. More importantly, they tell you, look, okay, this doesn't lead to political change. But here's the thing. If you recognise that there is such a thing as a career politician on whom they're reliant for the supposedly significant world change, you also have to recognise that career politicians... Feel the consequence of their words, right? They feel the political consequence of their words, which actually means comics are often freer to criticise those in power, which is exactly what Michelle Wolf is evidence of, right? Now they might say that those particular comedians do fall under some redress, and they do. But here's the thing: if you say the right thing and you condemn politics in a manner that people agree with, as a comedian, it sells more tickets. If you don't, they write it off as the gash report; they never watch it again. Fair enough. But there is an incentive for comedians to change the world, and they do very often do that. Point, Point of information. Assume, by the way. No thank you. Nish absolutely thinks this too. It was your game, you started it. Now here's the thing, here's the thing, Nish fundamentally believes this. He's going to get up here and tell you what, what he'll have to tell you, right, is that his job is banging his head against the wall because he does believe that words have power and he does believe that comedy can change the world because if he didn't, he wouldn't rely on our common empathy. He wouldn't seek our approval every week on the Mash report. He would try to change the world a different way, but he's not. He's not doing it through Morris dancing. He's not doing it through the flute. It's distinctly comedy he's chosen. He's a hypocrite, and I do know what that means. Now... <laughs> They tell you, effectively, the world is bad. The world is hell. But here's the thing. We don't have to prove that comedy is a blanket solution to everything bad ever. Um, we don't have to defend bad comedy. I can't do that for Nish in the next seven minutes, right? Like, there's only, there's only so much you can do. What I can tell you is that when Brona gets up here and tells you, look, all white male comedians are doing is adding to the noise and they do nothing good. I would contend that that is true. There has to be some good white male comedians. There have to be... There has to be a good white male comedian. What about those uh, guys that Nish impersonates? Um, you know, John Stewart and John Oliver? The Johns. Those guys are doing something to change the world, are they not? Right? I mean... Oh, wow, well, you guys aren't feeling... I think you feel like I'm being mean to Nish for no reason.
7: But I've met him. Point it. of information. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good one. Now... Look, they're right. One joke won't change the world, right? It won't change the world and it won't solve all bad. What it will do is give people the capacity to keep going, which is exactly what Rubes and Felicity tell you. They tell you that it's important when you feel beaten down by the world to laugh, to feel joy and to feel like other people can hear you. And that is exactly what enables people to make objective decisions about the actions they're gonna take to change the world in the future. These guys say, all you ever do is sit around and laugh and never do anything about it, when actually they've been asked repeatedly to tell us why it is that doesn't give people the will to carry on. Do you guys not agree? Anyone want to give me a POI? Uh, Point of information. Oh, you have one? Good. Let's go. Catherine, what you're asking us to do
6: there is prove a negative that something doesn't exist. By that rationale, I could say that this podium keeps tigers away because there's none here. Sorry for hitting you, Nish.
2: (laughs) Sorry, did Brona just whack Nish around the head? (laughs) Oh, I was really hoping I'd get to do that. Okay, here's the thing. (laughs) No, what I'm asking you to say is there's a logical extension of their own argument, right? Deborah tells you that comedy can't change the world. It can merely activate audiences. That is a change in the world. That is what causes people to change their mind. Specifically in comedy, though, there's a particular and unique way that it does this. Why? Because comedy starts important conversations in a non-threatening manner. It gets people's guards down. It allows them to laugh. and It allows them to listen in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. Point comedy, of information. Comedy, no, thank you, is a perfect example of how it is and when it is. We can ask stupid questions that we couldn't otherwise, right? For example, comedy is why my dad knows there's a difference between bisexuals and bicycles. Now... Yeah. Could he ask me that question himself? No. Could I answer it from, from the stage? Yes, I could. Uh, does he now ask me what the difference between pansexuals and bisexuals are? Yes, he does. Do I know? No, I don't. And that's the power of comedy, right? I am a queer Irish woman whose father is a Catholic deacon. I have OCD and there was a time when I didn't think I would ever be able to cope. I'm alive. I'm alive and that matters. It does matter because comedy allows us Two things. One, it allows us to be seen, it allows us to feel seen, and that allows us to carry on. And for some of us, being seen is changing the world. It is important that other people see a trans woman. It is important that other people see a queer woman. They don't necessarily wanna hear me, I do go on. But I think it's important that they see me. The second thing that comedy does, and this is what I'm gonna leave you on, and I think is so fundamental, is that it subverts shame, right? Here's the thing, before I started comedy, before I loved comedy, every time a bad thing happened every time I did a bad thing. My most overwhelming and most horrifying feeling and consistent feeling was one of shame. When you can laugh at that, it's not shameful. It's a great night out. It is a great story, and it's a good tale, right? only has comedy changed the world see all of the proofs that we've given you not only does comedy make the world an easier and better and arguably more human place to live and something i'm thankful for but comedy saves lives i saved mine and um that sounds real trite but equally nish is going to be very good at debating so i did need to play on your feelings have a great evening i've been Catherine bohart here thank you so much miss bohart
8: Thank you uh, to Ms. Bohart for such a spirited proposition of today's motion and an even more spirited opposition to Nish's career. (laughs) Uh, This leaves me with only one more task uh, here, which is to introduce your final speaker for this evening, the wonderful Mr. Nishkumar.
7: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the Proposition, Opposition and the audience. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. What about me? Um, what? what about me? Sorry, auntie. That's right. I was getting to you and my aunt. Uh, it's an Indian thing. We're not related. Don't worry about it. White people, ask your ethnic friends. Right, now, here's the thing. I am very happy to be here because I was a university debater. What? You all sound so surprised. Oh, uh, and I'm very passionate about debating about his history. Debater, of course, derives from the Latin word debatarus, meaning, of course, old virgin. And in fact... <laughs> I met my first... Uh, there's a lady shaking her head there as if to go, no, it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> why would that be why would that ever mean that Um, uh, yeah I will I will will take points of information I I, I realise the bell has gone I don't particularly want to but I, I am aware as the only man on a panel convened by the guilty feminist not letting a woman speak is not what we call ideal optics Uh, I was a university debater. In fact, uh, I met my first girlfriend at a university debating society, a fact which my friend, the comedian and professional Sri Lankan, Ramesh Ranganathan, once described as being as predictable as it is fundamentally upsetting. (laughs) Listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to quickly allow some rebuttal uh, because I've been called a lot of things tonight. (laughs) The presenter of a failing television show. (laughs) A guy who gets hit in the face. (laughs) Not Our Lord and Savior by Deborah Francis White. Although, Deborah, I would like to point out, just for the benefit of historical veracity, I look more like Jesus than any fucking picture of Jesus any of you have fucking seen in your entire lives. Look, some of you who watch BBC2 know me as the host of The MASH Report. Some of you who've been to the Edinburgh Festival know me as a wildly critically acclaimed stand-up comedian. Some of you who have read about me on the internet know me as the poor man's John Oliver, right? But I prefer to think of him as being the rich man's Nish Kumar. But what I'm going to do tonight before I go any further is rebut some of the arguments laid out. Let us start with Felicity Ward. Okay, and let's move on now. No. I quickly just want to uh, pick Felicity up on two things. Firstly, I did not know what the relevance of the phrase as funny as a fart in an elevator is, although it did make sense of a review that I received at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in 2015. 1.5 stars, the Herald Sun. And it was the 0.5 that really stung. I noticed that when Felicity went down our team for all the benevolent work we've done, she left me out. Now, that could be because she was running out of time whilst having what seems to be a nervous breakdown. But... It could also be because she knows that my comedy has only changed one thing, and that is my bank balance for the better. Holy shit, I am swimming in dartail 's money, priced <laughs> on a bike today for lunch, lunch, I had a Covent Garden soup <laughs> I wash my ass with Heinz. Rubes, a quick bit of rebuttal on your argument. If laughing all the time is good for your heart, how come my relatives laughed all the time and then all died of heart attacks? Eh? How do you like them apples, doctor? I don't think you're a real doctor, but you seem smart. Um, But uh, they they all died of heart attacks because it turns out it's not good for your heart if the thing that you're laughing at is the amount of pork
5: you just ate. Yes. (laughs) On a point of information, this is anecdata. This is not evidence. The evidence shows it's not very funny, but it's true. It just—it sounds like you worked for the Leave campaign with that sort of logic. Now,
7: Alex <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, data expo. sounds positively <laughs> Faragean. <laughs> but and but now, out for Catherine Bohart, first of all, that abortion joke was solid and, frankly, deserved more. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Secondly, you're clearly good, and that, frankly, is not the vibe. Right. And thirdly, I know that people are look—the viewing figures. Are what my producer recently described as at the lower end of acceptable. But our iPlayer (laughs) numbers are solid. We're getting good engagement with Facebook, Catherine.
2: Nish. Okay, yes. I know that you don't change anything with your comedy, but isn't Rachel Paris pretty good?
7: Rachel Paris is a charlatan and a fraud. She has sexually harassed me so much in the workplace, I cannot even tell you. That lady is vag out at most meetings. (laughs) Oh, yeah, hang on a second. Yeah, point of information from my own team.
0: Sorry, I know it's not not normal to have a point of information from your own team, but this is being recorded for the Guilty Feminist podcast, and it's being broadcast, so I'm going to need you to retract that for legal reasons. (laughs) And because the Rachel Paris is a good friend of mine and recently appeared on an excellent episode. She's a, an amazing co-host, and I know for a fact she does not have her vag or anything else at at any of your meetings. Take it back right now, Nish Kumar. Take it back. This is why we don't allow men on the Guilty Feminist. This is exactly why. We don't say things like Vag Out on the Guilty Feminist. If you don't listen to it, Nish, we don't say Vag Out. Okay, I think we get the point. Point of interest. Uh, order, yeah. or may okay, I ask you to wait? Let just, me
7: just retract some statements that I made about my friend and colleague, Rachel Paris. At no point is she ever quotes Vag Out at writing meetings. And at no point has she ever sexually harassed me, allegedly.
4: <laughs> point of interest? Yes. I'll get my badge out if it makes it easier. Just... <laughs> I don't know if that's interesting, actually. I'll sit back down. <laughs> but I, um, may
8: I just make one comment to Mr. Kumar? Yep. Could we try and stick to the motion of the house?
7: Sure. Listen, comedy's a goddamn sack of shit. It's a waste of everyone's time. It uh, distracts people. In fact, not only are comedians actively not not changing the status quo, they're consolidating it. Look at some of the awful comedy that's been produced. Holy shit. Did anyone see that Ricky Gervais Netflix special? Christ alive. If I ever get a time machine, Hitler's off the hook. I swear to God, I'm going back to the second after he finishes those Christmas specials and bam! Sweet baby Jesus. What the hell happened to the Simpsons this year? Christ alive. They were engaged in a public debate with my friend Hari Kondabolu, the Asian-American comedian, Indian-American comedian. They don't say Asian there. It means a different thing. Move on, Nish. You're hurrying for time. (laughs) They're engaged in a public debate with my friend Hari Kondabolu who made a documentary called The Trouble with Apu about why the idea of having a white actor still voicing the character of Apu may be a tad problematic in 2018. The Simpsons then responded, instead of engaging meaningfully with the thoughtful hour-long documentary that Hari made that was screened on True TV in America, The Simpsons, instead of engaging with it meaningfully, simply had Lisa Simpson in an episode look down the barrel of the camera, not camera, it's not real, I know that, but... (laughs) She looked directly at the audience and said this, something that started decades ago was applauded and inoffensive and is now politically incorrect. What can you do? Now, our first response to that should be, don't fucking bring Lisa into this, okay? (laughs) Not our Lisa Simpson. Do not bring Lisa into it. Give it to Superintendent Chalmers. Give it to the pimple-faced kid who works at the cinema. Give it to one of the characters we don't like. So, again, this is an example of comedy consolidating the status quo, failing not just to change things, but to actively keep them staying the same. Yes?
2: No, the status quo is that it went unchallenged. He challenged it, and now you're talking about it. He changed the world.
7: Yeah. Yeah, good point, actually. I probably should have thought of that before uh, sorry, I should have thought of that before I based is? my whole argument around it. Hang on a second, I'm getting heckled from my own team again. Point of
0: information, point of information that Nish wants to, Nish, what Nish point means of order. to say.
5: Deborah's had her time.
0: What, yeah, but the, what Nish order, means to say order. is Apu is still, still today yes. voiced by Harry Shearer. <laughs> the, the documentary aggravated Nish Kumar, that's not changing the fucking world. When they change that actor, it will be too late. It's seen as token. That's what you meant to say, Nish.
8: May I just say, can I just say, we have a beautiful example there of the direct opposite of mansplaining, right there.
7: I'm having a great old time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, what? Uh, uh, yeah. D- ditto. Yeah. You and whose army, Bohart? So, in conclusion, <laughs> in conclusion, I think we have learned a lot. Firstly, people are watching the Mash report. It's a breakout hit. Okay, it's a more complicated televisual landmark. You can't judge ratings by benchmarking them on earlier successes. Point number two, uh, Deborah, she said it. Yep. And point number three, I am just as good as John Oliver. Thank you. Regardless of what you read on the internet, I'm better than him at football. I played him and owned him. Mr. For which team are we? up a vote for the opposition, and a vote for the opposition is a vote for order and decency. (laughs) Nish means nish. Good night. Thank you, Mr. Kumar.
8: Well done to all of our speakers. Yes. And now, Look to your phones and get them ready, because sort of at the end of this sentence, your minute is going to start when you can vote. Uh, For those of you who've changed your minds, this is very exciting. For those of you who haven't, I think your time starts now. You have 60 seconds to
4: cast your vote. Opposition. Is it working?
6: I love that
1: everyone went,
4: yass.
6: <laughs>
4: Put your hands up. I mean, if you want to, sure. Mm-mm. For any reason? <laughs> oh, you mean when I'm saying yass? for a vote, isn't it? Oh, it's getting it? closer. Ah, oh, fuck you guys. Do you not remember Just these legs? Just over 30 seconds. You don't deserve my vag.
8: Just to confirm, this house believes that comedy can change the world. 68.3 think, yes, it can. And 31.9% of you think, no, it cannot. And I would like to point out that before the speakers went on, the no uh, brigade was smaller. Brigade, what a good word was smaller, uh, and it has gone up. So, some of the speakers have um, convinced you guys that comedy is not working, and perhaps, as Catherine Bohart thinks, Nish did that by just getting up. <laughs> comedy is not working. But well, doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen, there are our results. Thank you so much. And uh, one more round of applause for our speakers, Felicity Ward, Ruth Walsh, Catherine Bohart, Deborah Francis-White, Stitley and Nish Kumar.
0: It's a bit of a different episode of The Guilty Feminist. Uh, What did you think of the debate? Would you have one of those again? If you would like to hear another motion, please tweet us at guiltfempod, hashtag greatdebate, and we will put those new motions into the mix. Can we have a big, big round of applause and thank you to everyone at The Roundhouse? Thank you for coming out and supporting the Spoken Word Festival here at the Roundhouse and Live Comedy and the Guilty Feminist. Uh, We hope that you've taken something away from the debate and that you do use comedy, which clearly can't change the world because that's what my team said. Uh, But do use comedy as an impetus to change the world yourself. Go out there, get involved. There are lots of ways you can do that on the Guilty Feminist website. All sorts of things we're going to be doing over in Calais that we're talking about. Please do get involved. Come to more shows. We love you so much. You're the best audience in the world. <laughs> that's our show. You've been wonderful. i been Deborah Francis White. Yeah, Good night, Francis White. Oh you have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, and our debaters, Felicity Ward, Rubes Walsh, Brona C. Titley. Catherine Bohart, Nish Kumar and Sindhu V. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The Guilty Feminist theme was composed and played by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Derek, Ruth and Dominic and everyone at the Roundhouse, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. We point out that we did win over 7% of people to cynicism. Well... If I could announce all of it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Cindy. Sorry, Madam Chair.
8: Yes, we're going to start that again for the purposes of the podcast. I would like the speakers to not speak. Sorry. Sorry, I do. Sorry, sorry, Madam Chair. Boo.
4: Boo. It's over now. I have to do it for the podcast. Sorry. Hi.
8: This house believes that comedy can change the world.